Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Healing Insight, an acupuncture and holistic medicine clinic on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senia May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from anxiety to fatigue, digestive issues to women's health, and so much more. And speaking of women's health, Healing Insight has some huge news. Practitioner Nikki Ballian was just officially certified as a fertility specialist by the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. She's been specializing in women's health and fertility for 12 years and is now one of only nine practitioners to have this special certification in the entire state of Minnesota. In fact, my youngest sister, Jenny, started to become concerned about her fertility after trying to get pregnant for about six months. She says she could feel changes in her body within just a few treatments from Nikki and credits Nikki with getting her body on track to become pregnant. And Jenny's first baby is expected this summer. I'm currently pregnant with baby number three and have visited Healing Insight regularly throughout my pregnancies and especially at a time when my prenatal care has seemed really uncertain because of the COVID-19 health crisis. Knowing that I'm consistently able to focus on my physical and emotional health with Senya has been so important. Senya was also our featured guest on one of our most listened to episodes of Best to the Nest. It's episode 25, simply titled Anxiety and episode 113, where we talk about coping with the COVID-19 global pandemic. Visit Healing Insight HealingInsightOnline.com. That's HealingInsightOnline.com to find out more about Senya and her team. And congratulations, Nikki. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And Marjorie is on point with the topic today. Tell me about your inspo, lady. My inspo is, can we fly and can we dive? So there was an article in the New York Times earlier in June, and I saved it all of this time because it's about a woman named Kathy Sullivan, who is 68 years old, and she was the first American woman to walk in space in 1984. She has become the first woman to reach the deepest known spot in the ocean. Wow. Okay, how badass is that? That is so cool. That reminds me of Minnesota explorer Ann Bancroft, Yep. who I yep. have long wanted to get on this podcast, and I actually need to send her a message because her sense of adventure and her calculated risk-taking and her preparation for these just – she has this drive within her to see things that other people don't see. That right. they don't get to see with their own eyes. And I think that's so incredible. And I love that Kathy Sullivan, when she is, has accomplished this at 68 years old. It's 60 uh, is the new 30. It's <laughs> fantastic. It's terrific. I love it. I want so deeply in my heart to believe that, that 60 <laughs> is the new 30. It is. But, but this article says, like I said, it's from the New York Times. On Sunday, this was in June, Kathy Sullivan, she's an astronaut and oceanographer. 
emerged from her 35,810-foot dive to the Challenger Deep. How cool is that? She went down nearly seven miles. Yeah, I don't even want to go seven feet. I mean, honestly. (laughs) I don't even want to go seven inches underwater. (laughs) Into the muddy depression in the Mariana Trench. I just, here's what's cool about this to me. And this is, this is the topic today is the next big thing. What's your next big thing? And I love that this woman at 68 years old, clearly she's never stopped. No. She's never stopped working. She's an astronaut and an oceanographer and still found a way to be in the game. And I, for me, I'm going to be in the game till I'm 90. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But you have to plan for that and you have to figure out how do I make myself relevant? I mean, quite frankly, in television, I'm a television producer. I'm on the older end of, <laughs> of TV producers. There is no question about that. And it's important, I think, for people to think about what's the next big thing for me. And I think that's true. I think that's really true for me at two points in your life. One is when you're having children that you have to think about how you're going to blend all that, how you're going to do all that. And are you doing what you really want to be doing in the way that you want to do it? Yeah. Because I think children force you to reevaluate for women. I'm not talking about men, but for most of the women I know, children in a good way force you to reevaluate your career. Well, they totally do. And sometimes in a bad way because of the way that we have our culture set up, right? I mean, women take much more of a hit in the workplace when it comes to having children where men having children is seen as a benefit and can actually lead to them getting promotions and raises. Look at this guy. He's a good guy. He's stable. He has depth. He's Isn't that weird? Women, it's, oh boy, she had a baby this year. I mean, that is, well, she was out for three months. She wasn't here. You know, and you know, those things can't legally be said, but they are Mm. being said and they're certainly being thought. And women, after they have children, are often often seen as less valuable because they are the appearances that their attention is split or that their priority right. isn't work anymore their priority is their kids so as it that, sh- as it should be for <laughs> the for the father and the mother yes and as that should be respected and appreciated and compensated for Marjorie you'll you know this my one of my greatest rage moments was when we bought this house And our mortgage people, we had to get, uh, we had to like just keep filling out stuff. You know, when you get a mortgage, how it's like every five seconds, they're like, oh, wait, can we get this pay stub? Oh, can we get this record? It's 500 pages. Dollar amount that you transferred from one bank account, whatever. And they, they wrote me and said, we need you to explain why you made less money in 2017 than you made in 2016. And can you imagine, Marjorie, what happened to me? The boiling, the boiling level of rage. And it was because I had a baby. It was because I had a baby. And so I was out of work and I'm not paid for the entire time that I'm out of work. Like most people, I'm fortunate enough to be paid for some of it. Right. And, and so I made less money that year and I, um, I wrote this letter. Good for you. Do you want to know why I made less money? Because we live in a system that is unfair to working mothers. And I was like, (laughs) this is why mortgage people, you mortgage people. It was really, so, you know, those are the things. I mean, we're always balancing all those things. And I think for women, it is so true that family uh, and reproducing, if that's what you choose to do, really impacts 
the things that you can accomplish that you want to accomplish. And so I think it's really inspiring to see women just going out there and getting after it. I'll tell you a quick story because we're a little off topic, but you've brought us back because you're a professional broadcaster, but (laughs) you'll appreciate this story. So my mom started becoming pretty successful in the 70s. She was in public relations and she was making more money than my father at that point. Yeah, way to go. And way to go and was clearly vocal about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But she was traveling a lot to New York and she needed a credit card and she could not get a credit card in her own name. I hate unless everything. It was, I just un- can't even with unless, this. Unless it was attached to my father. Oh my gosh, Marjorie Punnett. In the 70s. In the 70s, except for one credit card company, which was American Express. Thank you, Amex. And to, and to this day, she will not give up that American Express card. Oh my gosh. Because she is so loyal to them because they gave her a credit card in her name. Because she was paying the bills, so they gave it to her in her name. Isn't yeah. that crazy? That is crazy. Also, we're going to send this to American Express <laughs> because yeah, exactly. they need to know that. Oh, boy, that actually makes me even more proud to have an American Express there you despite go. the fact that they have higher merchant fees. Uh, but I don't know. <laughs> it's a balance. Isn't Everything's it? a balance. Oh, man. Okay, but, so this Kathy Sullivan, I think, is so fascinating in terms of her first and then And gender aside, I mean, I actually think it's more about the age than the gender, don't you, Marjorie? I think it's both. I think it's both, and here's why. Because we know that she had to make some key decisions all along the way to keep her in the position to be an astronaut and an oceanographer, an astronaut that went into space and a diver that went to the deepest part of the ocean. Mm -hmm. We know as a woman she had to make perhaps more complicated decisions than her male counterparts. For sure. So that's why, that's why I think it's about gender and age. I think she's done something extraordinary for, for both sort of categories. And to me, when I look at that, what that says to me, and I didn't do a deep dive on her life because what it just <laughs> deep speaks dive. to Oh, that was funny. <laughs> I'm so clever and I don't even know it. What that says to me for my own life or for anybody who's sort of charting and navigating their life is how do you do that? And I think how you do that is you have to always sort of reassess where you are. Yes. And you have to say everything is possible for me. I'm, I, You know, it's funny when you get all woo-woo and you talk about how, oh, could I manifest this? Could I manifest that? And I actually am a believer that if you envision it and you really work – but it has to be like – envision with action. Right. You can't envision something. But I think that's what's important. I think a lot of times, especially in the baby years, women are so overwhelmed with just keeping their career going, raising good children, that sometimes I think they don't give themselves the space to dream about, okay, what is my long-term trajectory? Where do I want to be in five years, in 10 years? Because guess what? It comes in the blink of an eye, especially Mm -hmm. with kids. And I... I think I was lucky in one sense and and in our my late 40s you know we had a pretty big health tragedy in our house and yeah. we had to reorder everything and it forced me out of a comfort zone so I can sit here and say oh dream and manifest and all of those things I had to pivot and luckily I could pivot because I had a different skill set than just being a talk show host. There aren't a lot of those gigs around. And so when at 48 or 49, I was like, oh, I want to go live with my husband. I want to make sure that I can still work. I had something else I could do. So 
and it was kind of a dream come true for me. And I'm very lucky that it happened because I had always wanted to get back into television. I was a TV producer before I was a talk show host. So I was lucky that I could get back to something that I loved so much to do. But I think it's, I think it's just a good place for people to think about what's my story when I'm 68? What will I still be doing? What am I preparing for? Which gets us to the idea of what's the big dream for you, Elizabeth? If you had to think, and let's just pretend your current bosses aren't listening, because of course you love being on television. (laughs) You always want to work where you work. Yeah. But what's the, what are the other dreams you have? I mean, I think when it comes to my dreams, it's more about creating my own content, creating my own thing. And that's part of why, you know, Best of the Nest has been so rewarding for me because I do, I, I mean, I love where I work and I love what I do and I love the show. That being said, it's always, I create something for someone else versus my own thing. You know, and when you hear about like Oprah Winfrey, when she when she no longer had her show owned by the station in Chicago, that it was her own show, that was a hugely liberating moment for her. I mean, and that meant that she could totally control her own destiny. Now, there are some good things about that and bad things about that because there are a lot of things that I don't have to deal with because I have the station to deal with them. And that's terrific. (laughs) I like that there are a lot of things that I don't have to handle because it's just handled. But at the same time, I think that... I have been just going and going and going so much in my career for so long that at some point I do think that it would be it would be a lovely experience to just sort of have that stop and kind of go what would I create on my own um right. and put out there on my own. And that's, you know, that comes with positives and negatives. Right. So right. that it's 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 interesting. I think I think you're right about the constant reassessment. And this is one thing that I've definitely learned throughout my career. And this happened to me after when this happened to me when I was young, but I'd been working in TV news for seven years and, and I'd always wanted to work in television news from the time I was 13. So seven years, it felt like I'd been doing it for a lifetime because from the time I was 13, that was all I wanted to do. I had my first mentorship at a TV station where I would go there multiple times a week when I was 16. I was so driven. I mean, I read everything I could about women in broadcast news. I like all, I I wrote a high school research paper on the topic. I mean, it was like all I wanted. And so then I remember when I'd been so focused on the goal of anchoring a newscast in a top 25 market. And I've told this story before. All I wanted to do was get to a major television market and I wanted to anchor a newscast. And I was like, that is what I'm going to do from the time I was young on. And when I did it at KSCP at the station I still work at, I filled in on the morning show when I was a you know morning reporter and I got done and I was like, well, that was it. There it is. There <laughs> that it is. was it. And I didn't feel like I was in the right place. And it was a very big shock for me because it was what I'd been so driven to do for so long. I'd been so focused on this goal for so long that I forgot to check in with myself to see if that goal was really what I wanted anymore. Right. And then I was fortunate that I was able to pivot and, and then moved into the role at Twin Cities Live, which has just felt like home since the minute I got there. Mm. And, and I just loved, I mean, I really love 
like 98% of my time working on this show I've loved. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. That's pretty impressive because I would say I would say I have no data to back this up, but most people can't say that about their jobs. Yeah, that they love ninety eight percent of what they do. That's pretty incredible. But it took it was that that do or die moment where I mean I did I went into my so the the woman who was the executive producer of the show who started the show, I went into her office and I said, here's what's going to happen. I am either going to, at the time I, they were looking for a reporter on Twin Cities Live. So I, and I wanted that job. Right. And I'd been doing some fill in work and I knew the team and everything. And I said, so I, I am either going to get this reporter job on Twin Cities Live or I am going to apply to be a barista at the Caribou Coffee at the Byerly's in Burnsville. <laughs> And those are my options right now. And I, right. and, and that's right. the way that it's going to go. And I, because I worked at a coffee shop in high school and I loved it so much. There and every go. time I went to that caribou, I was like, everyone seems so happy here. And I it's just so here. relaxing. And I was living with my parents. And so I didn't really need, like I was You're living okay. for free. So yeah. I was okay. So I was in a position where I was able to take that risk, which I know, you know, a lot of times people don't have that luxury. I did at that time. And and it was sort of showed that I'm either going to start like there's there's no there's no ego involved in this. You know, this right. isn't like an ego move. This is a move right. of I'm going to f- take time to figure out where I'm going to go next or I'm going to go this direction. And either one is OK with me. But I know that the path that I'm on is not the right path for me. And I think that's the key right there. And and that's why this the story of the astronaut oceanographer at 68, I think that's why it speaks to me, is because this is a woman who at 68, I'm guessing, is still loving 98% of what she's doing. Yeah. And I think that's really what it's about. When you talk about the next big thing, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you it just means that you're thinking about what's gonna continue to feed you mm-hmm. so that when you're 68. You're still engaged in the world. You still love what you're doing. I mean, most people, realistically, Elizabeth, are going to have to work to 70. Oh, gosh, because, yeah. And, and I think that that's really the tricky part of, of navigating. I always sort of look at work as like surfing. It's like what waves are you catching mm-hmm. that sort of give you that high? I mean, I've talked about it before too, that I'm an adrenaline junkie. I like feeling like I'm, I'm in it, that something's happening. I don't, I'm not good with slow paced things. So to me, that's the idea of that you're always sort of catching the top of that wave where, you know, the breeze is in your hair, you feel invigorated, you feel like you're in it. And that's I love what's that. Cool. That's such a good, I've never thought about work like that. That's such a great. Oh, it's way the best. to look at it. That's it's it the is. Best. It totally is. And then it, what it does is it makes when you think about it like that, it makes the times that you're just sort of paddling mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what to do. It makes them seem so much worth more worthwhile. They're purposeful. Well, you should like write a book on that topic. That's a very good topic, Marjorie Punnett. <laughs> no, but it makes it purposeful. And I think that's what we're talking about when you're like looking, if you have three kids right now or you have two kids right now and you feel overwhelmed, I think it's so important that you sort of step out of it, find 15 minutes, think about what you want. Think about just how you're going to reorder things if they need to be reordered. Yeah. And that goes for when you are in the midst of raising kids because they take up so much of your brain energy. You just have to save a little bit for yourself. And then it goes for when your kids leave. And, you know, I feel really fortunate that 
I'm I I produce TV that's really fun. I too, like you, was in news and thought, mm, this isn't this isn't. I knew that I wanted to get out of news. Yeah. And then when I went back to TV, I knew that I wasn't going to do news. I it, every newsroom in the United States is filled with most people under thirty, so it's like that, that really wasn't going to happen for me. But I feel really fortunate that I produce television that's really fun. I feel like it has an impact on the local economy. I, you know, I was producing stories about chefs, so that was great because people could watch a story and then they could go to that restaurant and that was a good thing. This is pre-pandemic. But there's always like, what's next for me? I'm just 55. I potentially have 15 years left of a career. Yeah. So what does that look like? I don't know. I mean, I'm 98% happy right now too. But it's like, I just think that when I read it, when I read about this woman who's 68 and is still in it, it inspires me and it tells me that I have work to do as well. That well, I have- it's also, it's this great reminder because I think what we're told so much through pop culture, Marjorie, is that if you haven't done it by your 30, by the time you're 30, you're kind of done. You're like yes. washed up yes. because you just see so many people like Justin Bieber comes to mind right away, right? Like his <laughs> YouTube stardom that happens so young and like the age limits on American Idol contestants. Like if you yeah. haven't made it by your 20s. In whatever sort of talented field you're trying to go into, that you're washed up, that there's not enough time. And you're right. I mean, then you hear stories like that of Kathy Sullivan, or I relate back to my parents who my dad just retired, which doesn't even mean he really retired. I, he doesn't retire because he always would say, right. when I retire, I die. This is always what he would say to us going up. Oh. Growing up, he'd be like, if you retire, you die. Your death is just right around the corner when you retire. And I was like, okay. Wow, Dad. This wow, is why Dad. all of us are obsessive worker bees. Yeah. But yeah. Um, because this is how we were raised. But it is true. I remember thinking just a few years ago, my dad was in his early 60s. And my mom, also in her early 60s, my mom had just taken on a massive property project had, uh, was, was selling, had just gotten a patent on her, on her painting tool invention called the paint behind, by the way, free plug for her. It's so great. <laughs> and, and was at the top of her game with her interior design business. In her My 60s. dad was the, had become the president of a university and hadn't, and got his PhD not that long before that. I mean, my dad got his PhD. It was the world's longest PhD program. It took him like 12 years to do it, but he did it. Right. And he finally got it in his late fifties. Right. And that's always been, that's a real inspiration for me is to just see that my parents, number one, I don't think we were ever the center of my parents' world. And that doesn't mean that I don't feel very loved and cherished by my parents because I 100% do. But I always felt like they had things that they were doing. And they had their own goals and things to accomplish that didn't involve me. And I right. needed to do that too. And that that was important. And then also that they had a drive to just keep going. And I, you know, some of that is they both didn't come from very much. They both came from, they were pastor's kids. Guess right. what, folks? I was one too. Guess what you don't have a lot of? Cash flow, yo. You don't have any of it. <laughs> so you, you so have to, there was a monetary, time then, yeah, when they inflation. shifted to saying, Okay, like we gotta, we gotta make some money here. Right. We're not cut right. out to be this stressed all the time. 
But the, but it's really key what you said is what they modeled was drive and what they modeled was goal setting. Yeah. And I think that that's important. And I, I, I think we both probably have known women that when they're in the midst of raising their kids, they lose themselves. Mm-hmm. And when you lose yourself in that way, you're also modeling that for particularly for your girls. Yeah. And so I think it's really important. And I certainly with my mother – she modeled drive. She modeled goals. She modeled success. She modeled all of those things for her four daughters. And it's no surprise that she she has four daughters that work hard and, and are super successful. Pretty, yeah. I think that I think the girls have done well. And and so I think that it's really important for young moms in particular. And it doesn't. We're not talking about that. You have to necessarily because I. I don't think everybody wants like the killer career. Yeah. I don't think that it has to be that way. No. But I think everybody needs something that's for themselves, and whatever that looks like for you, I think it's really important to to do that because, trust me, as you get older, you need every skill set that you accumulate mm-hmm. to stay relevant in the workforce. And I know a lot of women who sort of clicked out of and this is my generation, of being very tech savvy. And that's a mistake. I mean, you just can't click out that way because you don't know what's in front of you. You mm-hmm. don't know what what could happen health-wise. You don't know any of those things. So I always think it's just good to keep remembering what is it that I want to do? What are the skills I can grow? Who do I want to be in the world 10, 15, 20 years from now? Which brings us to one of the things that I actually sort of admire in Ian which sort of sounds like your parents in one way is through our whole life. He always had a five-year plan. Yeah. Every five years we would go out to dinner someplace nice and he would write on a piece of paper, his five-year plan. That's great. What a good tradition. It was really fun, actually. Of course, I never really adopted that, but <laughs> but you liked that he did. I liked that he know. did. And it's it was like very me with people who like work out every day. I'm like, way to go. That's so great. That is awesome <laughs> for you. Um, but the cool thing about that is, is that when he had to make a career change, some of those goals that he had been setting for himself were sort of already moving. He had wanted to write a book. So he, there was just things that he had put into motion that were helpful to him when he decided to go back to school and get his PhD. And so all of those, in fact, the the biggest thing, the thing that was most helpful was something he had done in his late 30s, which I did not understand. When he came to me, he said, I, I need to go to seminary. And I looked at him and I said, I don't really get this. <laughs> and he's like, because it was cost money and it was time and we had little kids. I'm like, I do not understand this. He's like, I, I can't explain it to you. There's this still small voice, which is telling me that this is something I should be doing. And I'm like, all right. And so he went back and he got his master's. I cannot tell you what a difference that made when he went to go get his PhD. It shortened how long it took him to get his PhD because he already yeah, had his master's. For sure. And, and I, in my heart, believe that that still small voice was prepping him for what was going to happen in his 50s. Because had he not done that, it would have complicated our life even more. And it had already gotten complicated. So I just think that's an interesting thing to just – but you have to you have to be in the mindset of thinking about – what will I look like five years from now? What will I look like 10 years from now? I have now, I, I mean, I started doing that when I was 40, 46, 47. 
Ian had been doing it from his 30s. And I just, I wish I had done it sooner. I don't regret anything in my life, but I wish I had done it sooner. Because I think there are other things. I think I would have gotten my master's had I been more in touch with, okay, keep working at who you're going to be 20 years from now. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just think it's a good thing. And it's good to be inspired by a 68-year-old woman who just went to the bottom of the ocean. I'm totally with you. I think it's super inspiring. And I love that idea of the five-year plan. And I just love the idea of continually checking in with yourself to figure out what fulfills you. Right. What's fulfilling you and how are you manifesting your gifts? How are you, what are the things that you've been gifted with and how you share those things with the world that the, that can change all the time. I mean, it can change regularly, but as long as you're in that, that lane of this is where my gifts are. And in the case of Kathy Sullivan, she's an explorer and she's an awareness bringer. And so looking at how that works for her in any given moment, I'm sure it manifests itself in totally different ways. Right. Right. And I think the other thing too, is you were talking about what your parents have modeled for you. I think the other important thing, and I don't know how much I don't know how much what my father did for me is the norm among families. All I know is that I was really grateful that he did it for us. And it, we were always asked, what do we want to be? Yeah. What do we want to do from a very, very young age? I mean, I think when I was, I mean, I can name everything that my sisters wanted to be when they were little mm-hmm. because it was a topic of dinnertime conversation of what are you going to do? And I can remember very clearly when I was eight, I wanted to be a lawyer. And what my father did is he, the minute you would sort of talk about what you wanted to be, he would feed it. And so I had my reading list. I had, he would feed what that was, which if you think about, that's a dad in the 1970s of how progressive and cool that was that he was telling his daughters, you can be whatever you want to be. For sure. And I think that that, that sort of, it's, it's starting that modeling of what's your intention? What do you want to do? Helping your kids with their own five-year plan. Because I think even though it's going to change, I I think every kid, oh, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be president of the United States or I want to be a a shop clerk. Whatever it is, it can change every two or three years. But if you help sort of guide that five-year plan for them, any skill set they pick up, they'll always use throughout their life. And isn't that a great skill set to continue on into adulthood? I mean, always be asking yourself, what do I want to be? What do I want to share? What fulfills me? I mean, asking yourself those questions at no matter what age you are. Right. Right. You could want to be a barista. That was your other path. That's a path you could still take. I know. You you might open a coffee shop. I think about that all the time. I always see like a little empty store. Just two nights ago, my husband and I were driving to his boss's house for dinner and there was this little open storefront thing. And I said, should we buy that and open something in it? Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Buy that and open something in it. The problem is I know too many small business owners and it's so hard. It's so much work. I could so see you with a very sweet coffee shop. Oh. It would be lovely. And you, my friend, would get a discount. Thank you. (laughs) 
If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. From Joy this morning, she said, love this show, and she used a little heart in it. This is like <laughs> listening to really smart and thoughtful friends talk about all the important stuff. Highly recommend. Well, thank you so much, Joy. We love it. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.